We're um, really happy to be here. This afternoon we went to, I can never pronounce it right, Van, Vandalia. Vandalia. It's more because I'm nervous that I'm going to say it in an English way and you're going to think it's really strange. But I suppose I could get away with it. I could probably say it however I want and you'd probably... Exactly. But we uh, we went and just had the opportunity to prophesy over a bunch of people there. And what a cool, what a cool bunch of people that you guys are sowing out. And, you know, I was thinking today also about the, the team that you sowed into Charleston in South Carolina. And I've never been there, but it sounds like it's warm, so I'd quite like to go. Um... But I've met Scott and Steph, and they're an amazing bunch. And I think, you know what? Where, you're, where you guys are sowing, there's always going to be a reward in, from heaven, right? And I feel like you're, you're now reaping a reward right here in your back doorstep. And I think you guys have got an amazing amount of faith for what God's going to do, and I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so true. It's so true. And I think it's, it's a real honor to be here this weekend, um, just to be a part of what God's doing. So we're excited about tonight. I'm going to harass you to come up later, but shall I tell, shall I tell, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story of how we got together. Because, uh, it involves drama. It involves the emergency room. It involves a broken rib. Um, and, and I, I know I still married him after all of that. Um, when we were when we were dating, I was I was actually uh, um, on the pastoral staff, and he was one of of our interns. And uh, um, this was before we were dating, and I was like, no, 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 because obviously you know you're not supposed to be dating the people that work for you. And it was was kind of uh, you know saying no to that. But one uh, one night um, at the end of December, um, I was speaking um, at the, one of our campuses in the evening and um, he was doing worship. And so a bunch of us had spent the whole day together. And after the meeting, we decided to go sledding because there was, you know, loads of snow. And, you know, you need to go sledding, don't you? You need to go to the golf course when it's a little bit, you know, snowy and you know there's lots of wonderful people about so we go sledding and and then it it transitions from sledding into the rugby tackling of the girls by the guys I I don't know if you've ever experienced that but um so the snow is like this deep so you know that everyone's like oh and they fall into the snow and are nicely cushioned and Ben rugby tackles me and I fall backwards uh but unfortunately the snow was this deep where I fell. So I land on my side and he lands on top of me and I, I could just hear my rib just was like, and I was like, yeah, he broke my rib. <laughs> I don't know if he wanted it back, you know, Adam and Eve, like take it back um, or, or something like that was going on. Some primeval male urge, give me my rib back. But, uh, uh, you know when you like someone and you don't want to kind of communicate that they've, you know, grievously injured you and you're like, it's like, oh, oh I, I, you know, I think I'll be okay. And then I'm just, I'm walking and I'm like, oh, oh, it hurts when I walk and when I breathe and, and when I smile, oh, especially when I laugh. Oh, it was so painful. But I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to go home. If I, if I just sleep on it, it will probably feel better in the morning. So um, I go home, and it had been an intense day. I dug my car out of the snow twice. I'd been really busy. I'd probably not had an, enough water to drink that day. And I, I, I go to bed, and I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm just so thirsty. 
And I, but I, I'm, I can't get out of bed because it's agonizing pain. So I'm trying to like roll, but you know, eventually I get out of bed and walk down the hallway and I pass out because of the pain. I drop the glass. The glass shatters. It slices my leg open. I fall back and I hit my head on the marble tiles going into the bathroom and I split the back of my head open. And I still married him, people. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, I had uh, um, a girl I shared the apartment with. Um, she heard the sound of breaking glass, and she thought someone was breaking into the apartment. So she decided to lie in bed until she heard me call for help. <laughs> At which point, when I heard this, I was like, if I'd known that would be your response to danger... I would not have agreed to move in. You were, you're going to wait until I called for help. What if I didn't call for help? But as she said, it, it, it's one of the few times, well, she said it's the only time she's ever heard God shout at her. And, and he was just saying, get up, get up, get up. So eventually she gets up and I was in the, I sort of came to in the bathroom Sit, kind of like, oh, just with this compulsion, I've got to go back to bed. Thankfully, she came because I think if I'd gone back to bed, I would have been bleeding for a long time and I might have died. But she took me to the hospital and uh, went to ER and, and uh, you know, I'm waiting there to get my head stapled and stitched and x-rayed. And it was quite exciting because there was a man in the cubicle next to me who had been brought from the uh, airport in Toronto and he had been... Uh, he had been smuggling drugs, and he was having those drugs removed from his various bodily orifices. Um, so, you know, I'm lying there sort of like moaning slightly, but he was moaning a lot more in the cubicle next to us. So, you know, I, I have massive concussion. You know, eventually I go home. Now, Ben, unfortunately for him, this was the day that he realized, I think I'm in love with this girl. She is just wondrous, and I think I'm just, I'm going to go after her, I'm going to do this. And so the next day he's in work, and he's, you know, he's kind of like, well, you know, he notices I'm not around, and uh, by about lunchtime, he tries to casually just be like, oh, so, uh, you know, anyone seen Sarah? And they're like, oh, you've not heard? She's in hospital. She's really badly injured. Um, it's, it's really bad. <laughs> You thought you'd killed all chances at that point, really, didn't you? No, almost, he almost killed all chances with my mother. so I could see her. Hello, there we go. So I could see her, and I'd met her parents before, and so I kind of walked in the door. They'd invited me for dinner, or I think Sarah had invited me for dinner. And I kind of walked in the door, and I said, Hello, Faith. That's her mum. And I said, Are you having a nice Christmas? And she glared at me. And she said, 
well, it would be a lot better if Sarah was well. And I was like, oh, no, I have a whole evening and probably a lifetime with these people. But thankfully, my mum forgave. My mum forgave him. And um, a little while later, um, we started dating. But in that week, as I was lying in bed, kind of in and out of consciousness, I began to realize that all the food was really, really bland. And at first I was just like, oh, it's such inferior, terrible food. Like, really, I'm ill. Shouldn't people be giving me something good? And uh, and then I realized that it, I couldn't smell anything and I couldn't taste anything. And um, I went to a number of doctors and specialists. And um, the second specialist I went to said to me, um, he did all these tests and put things up my nose and he was like okay you have there's things in your nose that connect to your brain and the type of accent you had they sheared off they don't grow back what you have right now which is nothing will be all you'll ever have thank you very much and wow that was quite an intense moment in my life I have to say but that morning um, I'd woken up with a Ron Cannoli song in my head uh, and uh, I don't normally wake up with one cannoli songs in my head. And uh, as I was driving to the specialist, I, I, was, uh, I became aware. I was like, that song, whose report will you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. And his report says, I am healed. And, and, I, and I, I, just, I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, I'm speaking to you. And, and I felt I'm going to have a choice today. Whose report will I believe? I believe that, and I was like, I think the doctor's going to give me a report, and God is saying, my report says you are healed. And so as I drove home that day from uh, the specialist, I, I cried, because it was, I was a bit like, oh, you know, it feels, life without a sense of taste and smell is just so bland and just scary and disorientating, especially when the two main things you love to do in life are cook and eat. Uh, which are basically my hobbies. And I'm just like, what's the point in even cooking when you can't taste anything? As soon as you close your eyes, you've no clue what's in your mouth. It's a horrible experience. And, you know, I would, I would be cooking something and I would, I would just forget about it. And then I'd be like, my eyes just hurt. And then I would realize there would be smoke pouring out of the oven, but I couldn't smell it. I couldn't tell that there was smoke there. And I, I, it felt very insecure. Well, I felt really insecure because I'm like, I can't detect danger. There were all these things that are invisible dangers for me now. And that morning I had a choice to believe God, to believe his promises, and to begin to head in the direction of God says I am healed, even though all my physical symptoms said something else even though the specialist said, this will never return. There is nothing more for, for you to do. And many of us have dreams and promises that God has given to us, that God's placed in our hearts. You know, we shared a bit about those last night. Some of you were shouting out your dreams, things that you're like, I want to see this happen. I want to see these things happen. I want to, you know, and, and they're, they're big dreams. They're they're, they're that God dreams. But what do we do in between the tension of now and then? How do we live when we're not walking in the destiny, in the dream, in the promise? But how do we live on the way there? How do we set a course to go there? Because that was my choice. 
I could have just been like, you know what, I don't have it and this is miserable and I'm just going to, you know, cry and just not ever kind of want to get out of bed ever again. Or how am I going to live saying, God says I'm healed. God says I'm healed. Think about Joseph. He's like the original before Christ young adult. We, we really meet him between 17 and 39. Uh, remember those two dreams he has? He has, you know, these dreams of, you know, his brothers bowing down before him, his mother and father and his brothers bowing down before him. Those were dreams that spoke of him in a significant leadership position. And you can just imagine, you know, often when we get a word or a promise from God, our perception of its happening is usually tomorrow. <laughs> you know, to be honest, we're like, yes, it may be, it may be next week. But as soon as we hear it, we want it to be happening right now, generally. Anybody else? I, I, I'm just like, oh. But um, we were talking um, last week about you know, when you look in the Bible um, and, and you do a word search for the word suddenly, it occurs, I think, 42 times. You do a word search for the, for the phrase, in the course of time, and it happens 400, and like, I think 457 times. You know, in the course of time, we are a suddenly generation. You know, we are, we're like, we want the suddenly! We want it tomorrow, today, maybe, maybe in an hour. I'll take an hour. And yet sometimes the journeys that God has us go on are in the course of time journeys into our dreams, into the promises he has for us. And, you know, Joseph had those dreams. He is the favorite son of the favorite wife. You can imagine, you know, when you get a word from God and you can picture how it's going to come to pass. And I bet Joseph was picturing. He was like, here I am in my favorite cloak from my father. Maybe dad's going to change the succession. You know, I'm already favored above the others. It wouldn't take much for my dad to say, Joseph will inherit everything and then they will bow before me. You know, you can imagine he begins to visualize how those dreams could come to pass. And yet in the, in the course of a moment, his life, as he sees it, is totally derailed. He is betrayed by his brothers. He is sold into slavery. He is relo- forcibly relocated to a foreign land to become a slave to a hated foreign empire. Everyone thinks he's dead. No one will come to rescue him. There are no police saying his slavery is wrong. Unless... A miracle happens. He's stuck there for the rest of his life. What did Joseph do at that moment when the promises of God were so far away? Not only were they far away, but they looked like they'd been destroyed and trampled upon and made a mockery of. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like your dreams? Like you're like, you spoke something over me, God, and then the exact opposite happened. And now I'm further away than I was before. Hey, you've got a good friend in the Bible. His name's Joseph. His, his life was no longer his own. He had no position. He had no power. And the choices Joseph was, was faced with are the same choices we are faced with today. We 
We are faced with the same choices to trust God in the face of our dreams not yet coming to pass. You know, trusting God with our future is, isn't really easy when everything is going really well. You're like, I trust God. Yes, Lord. I trust you with my life because everything is so simple. But when suddenly those things, when life throws you a few curveballs, suddenly you're a bit like, ooh, Oh, that which was so easy over here, suddenly I'm like, have you forgotten me? Oh, whaley, whaley, and we gnash our teeth. And I know this because I have gnashed my teeth and wailed and, you know, angsted and thinking, oh, will I be stuck here forever? He does not know where I am. Why have you forgotten me? You know, and I'm like, oh, two days ago I was like, yes, I trust you, Lord, with my life. And then, boom. Something happens and everything is shaken within us. In Jeremiah 29, there's a verse that most of us know backwards and forwards. For I know the plans I have you together, the plans to me, not army, plans to ever in the future. <laughs> you can say it that fast. You're just like, yes, so. Oh, I'm having a hard time. I don't know what the future holds. Right now, the blends ever the There's a Lord. We just kind of like, we whip that one out so quickly. I've done that myself. That's my go-to. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I know the plans I have you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not time you to give you hope in the future. Thank you very much. He knows the plans that you have for us. And yet sometimes I've been so guilty of forgetting the context and the power of this verse. You see, that that scripture, that promise was not some namby-pamby, do you have that phrase? You know, kind of namby-pamby promise of an easy, trouble-free life. Oh, no, no, no. That verse is a life raft thrown to a people in trouble. That, that verse is, is for the drowning man. That verse is for people who were attacked, who were enslaved, for people in trouble, in challenge, in confusion, in distress, in indecision, in depression, in pain. People just like us. (sighs) That's kind of encouraging, isn't it? And when we, when we look at that, at that chapter, we realize these Israelites were in remarkably the same position as Joseph. They had been attacked. Check. Enslaved. Check. Forcibly relocate to a, to a foreign land. Check. Had a dream, prophetic word of the future. Check. Wanted it to be here right now, maybe yesterday. Check, 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 check. Same, same scenario. And, you know, they had the Israelites, they'd been taken into, into exile, and they had lots of prophets with them who were like, this will end tomorrow. Get ready. Pack your donkey. Because we will be galloping back over the desert to the promised land. They, they were prophesying out of their desires. They were speaking things that didn't come from God's heart. You know, they, they, they weren't dancing. They were living in tents. And they were living in tents with the camel packed, ready to go. They weren't getting married. They weren't building houses. They weren't having babies. They weren't planting crops. They were living in limbo. No, they were not dancing in the desert. Ding, ding, ding. I can't really do a limbo. But they, they were living 
They weren't living where they were. They were waiting to go somewhere else. And just like, oh, Methuselah, will the call from the Lord come today? Because then we will gallop back into the promise and the dream will come true. And yet, that day hadn't come yet. And this is the moment when the Father speaks to them in Jeremiah 29. And although this, this um, message was spoken hundreds of years after Joseph, I'm pretty sure God whispered something very like it in his ear too. If I can find Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, 5. So verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Embrace the life in front of you. When we are not yet living in our dreams, when we're wanting to be somewhere else, when we want to be in living in, in the destiny that we've had words spoken over us, whether it's healing, whether it's you know marriage, whether it's fruitfulness, whether it's business, and we're not there yet, God says, embrace the life in front of you. Build houses. Embrace, you know, if, if, if you're living in a tent thinking, I hope I leave here soon, you're not embracing the life in front of you. No, they didn't have watches, did they, at that time? So they wouldn't have been looking at um, the, the sundial. They would have had a sundial. You know, he was saying, take the saddle off the camel. Start building a house. Start planting a garden. You know what? When you plant a garden, you're not, you're not going to experience the fruit this week or next week or the week after. You plant with the long-range plan. You're, you're planting in, oh, I'm not a great gardener, but, you know, you plant like in the fall and the things start coming up in the spring and you plant in the spring and things come up all summer long. You know, there's a time to plant. And God was saying, it's time to plant. It's time to embrace the life in front of you. You know, when we think about Joseph, if, this, if his life was a modern movie, he would arrive enslaved in Egypt and then he would have incited a rebellion against the hated Pharaoh overlords and freed the slaves and ridden back to the land and killed his father and brother. Oh, no, he wouldn't have killed his father. Kept his father, killed his brothers. Isn't that what would happen? You know, yeah, Mel Gibson, you know, Russell Crowe. There would have been an uprising. And, and you know, it would have been, he would have, over, he would have killed Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. But in fact, he started to live and serve with excellence. He embraced the life in front of him, a life he did not choose. But he... He, he chose to live that life to the best of his ability, to embrace it, to say, if I'm a slave, I'm going to be the best slave. That challenges me when I read that. I'm like, what? Don't you want to be like escaping back to the promised land? Or like, no, 
he's like, well, here I am, so I'm going to embrace this life right now. He had a vision of the future, but he threw himself into the present he was given, even though it included slavery, betrayal, imprisonment. Man, that's one courageous guy. He invested his talents and his abilities in the life he was given, even though it wasn't the life he wanted yet. Oh. And you know, what's interesting is he wasn't a slave in his heart. Because if he had been a slave in his heart, he could never have become the second in command of Egypt. He could have never become the leader of Egypt that he was. And some of us are living with labels on our lives that we've embraced. We've said, I'm single. I'm a victim. I'm a widow. I'm broken. And we've said that that defines us. But when you read the story of Joseph, you realize his circumstances did not define him. They didn't dictate who he was in his heart. They didn't dictate his life with God and his relationship with God. Where are you and what has God put in front of you? What is he asking you to embrace in life right now? What... What community are you part of? What church are you part of? Most likely this one. <laughs> Who are the people that God has placed in front of you? You know, in Toronto, there's, um, I love Toronto, but it is, there is, it's a place where God calls people to come and then he sends them out. There's a lot of movement in relationship. And, you know, one of, with, the, with the young adult group we, we gather, one of the, the sort of questions is often, like, there's no community. I want community, but there's no community. And our challenge to them and our cry to them is, if you want community, be community. Amen. Build community. If you want it, invite somebody over to your house and say, would you like to come for dinner? Like, whoa. What? Shocking, revelation. Shocking revelation right there. You know, embrace the life in front of you. <laughs> Number two, 29 verse 6. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Yeah. Now, what's that saying? They weren't investing in the future. And God was speaking to them to say, invest in the future. It can be tempting when we have a dream or a promise that we're waiting for or we're holding on to, to live our lives in limbo, to put our lives on, on hold until that thing comes to pass. When I get married, then I'll blah, 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 blah. When I retire... Then I'll, when I win the lottery and win a million dollars, when I get rich, then I'm going to give generously. When, when I get a different job, then I'm going to start witnessing to my, uh, to my, you know, my co-workers. I'm sure none of us have said things like that, but I have heard of people who have done that. And... God is calling us to invest in our future right now. 
He's, he's saying, I want you to invest in your life, in the future, in where you're going. And be intentional about positioning yourself. How can I, it's not the season I want, but how can I grow in this season? Amen. How can I grow in my life with you? How can I grow in, in, in maturity, in, in, my, in my intimacy with you? There's always opportunity for growth. There's always opportunity for deeper intimacy with God. It may just re- require a little bit of discomfort on our part. It may require a little bit of action on our part. <clears throat> if you need training, apply. If you want community, ask someone around for dinner. If you want to travel, start saving. God wants us to be in action and intentional towards the future and the dreams that he has for us. Joseph grew in skills and character. He learned to trust God. He learned how to be a leader. He learned financial management. He learned to be trustworthy. He learned forgiveness. His time as a slave in Egypt, he used that as the training ground to be the second in command of Egypt. He used that time to grow in every way possible so that when the future that God had for him came upon him, he, had, he was fully trained. He was ready. You know, you know how I know that he grew in forgiveness? Because when his brothers turned up all those years later, he did not have them tortured to death or kill them. Because don't tell me that time is a healer, Sarah. If your brothers have sold you into slavery, I'm pretty sure that time is not going to be the best healer. In fact, it's probably going to help you hone your plans for their life. And yet he wept with joy when he saw his brothers. That was a man who learnt to forgive in the toughest time of his life in a place he didn't want to be. What has God got for you to grow in? What has he got for you to learn in this season of life, which may feel like limbo, which may feel like not the place you want to be? He has gold for you in this season. Where you are right now is the training ground for your future. If you choose it, if you choose it, if you embrace it, grab it, wrestle with it. Not saying it's going to be easy. But it is the training ground for our futures. Um, I, was, I was sharing today a quote that I just love. Um, that, 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 that just inspires me. Um, and my mind just went blank. Totally blank. I'm like, ah, your response to the fire determines whether it refines you or whether it burns you. Do do what sort of response are you having? <sighs> that second part of that verse, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Don't shrink back. It can be tempting when we are not where we want to be to compromise. To be like, you know what, I'm not where I want to be. I I deserve a little treat. You know, no one really cares anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I do in this season. Ever heard that little voice whisper in your head? I feel so bad, it can't hurt to dot, 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 dot. And you think about Joseph. 
You know, there he is. He's in Potiphar's house. He's a slave. He's doing excellently. Potiphar's trusted him with everything. The only thing that he does not have of Potiphar's is his wife. And she's like, she's like doing the dance of the seven veils around him. And don't you think that it might have been tempting for him to think, I'm a slave. What am I ever going to have? It can't really hurt just this time to give in to temptation. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing and reading in right now to what it says in the Bible. But often when we're not where we want to be, that voice comes that encourages us to shrink back. Give up. What's the point in pressing forward? God's probably forgotten about you. Just lie down. You know, I know you've been struggling to, to, to change that area, but just once more wouldn't hurt. And God speaks to the Israelites and he says, increase don't decrease. Press forward. This is the very moment to be like, no, I'm running forward for God with everything I have. I'm not going to let, you know, it talks about in Hebrews, you know, those things that in the sin that so easily entangles us. I'm going to throw that stuff off so that I can run the race that he has given me. The choices we make are investing in our future. The choices we're making right now. Today could be the first day of the rest of your life. I heard that quote once. I was like, oh, that's so good. Today I could change things that will change tomorrow and change the next day and invest in the future. Now then, 29 verse 7, it says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Whoa there. Whoa there. Pray for Babylon? Are you crazy? You know, they, you know the Israelites weren't exactly fans of Babylon. You know, it wasn't like your holiday city. This was, this was a place they hated. They're like, this is a symbol of everything ungodly. This is all that is wrong with society, civilization, the world. This is it, embodied in one city. And God says, pray to the Lord for this place. Pray for peace. Are you praying and blessing where you are? Are you praying and blessing? What if you're living in a neighborhood you don't want to live in? Are you praying and blessing it? Are you saying, thank you, Lord, for this neighborhood where I live? I pray peace on it, especially on my neighbors. I bless them. <laughs> uh, none of us have ever had those wonderful neighbors of uh, intrigue and blessing. <sighs> Invest and pray and bless. The place where you are, the neighborhood where you are, your boss, your job. Maybe you're in a company and you're like, I can't bear it. It's so difficult. I can't stand my co-workers. Who are these people? Where did they come from? And the Lord says, seek the peace and prosperity of your city. Pray and bless for where you are. If you're at home and you're like, I don't have a job. I'm so I have sent my resume to every single 
people, person in this city has my resume. God's saying, pray and bless where you are. Thank you, Lord, that I have this opportunity to be at home and clean and seek you and build intimacy with you. I don't know what you're doing in this season because it's driving me crazy. But maybe it's about rest. Maybe it's about God is quite radical. Revolutionary. He's saying bless where you are even when you don't want to be there. Think about Joseph in Egypt. I mean, he's in Egypt. He's a slave. Then he's a slave in in prison. I'm not sure you can get much lower than that. I don't, you know, we read those verses and we're like, oh, yes. And then he was sent to the prison and then there was favor. And we're like, oh, oh, dear. It must have been a hard time. Hello. Engage. Engage our thoughts with that. You were a slave and then you got sent to prison. I don't think they had human rights monitors. I don't think they were like, there's a TV in your cell and you get to walk outside once a, once a day. There was none of that. I can't even begin to imagine how appalling the conditions were. The things that he experienced. You know how the Bible sometimes skips over a large portion of time in one verse. (laughs) And you're like, we read that, but that might have been 10 years. You know, and sometimes a day feels like 10 years. Ever had one of those days where you're like, I survived today. (sighs) If God said, if that city prospers, if that place prospers where you are, then you too will prosper. How can we embrace the place God has placed us? Verse 8 and 9, I read in a tiny worded Bible. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name, and I have not sent them, declares the Lord. You know, Israel had lots of prophets who were making up stuff. And like, get on your camel. It's time to leave. And they were, rep- they were speaking things that were not coming from God's heart. And they would have dreams and stuff. And then they would be like, this dream is from God. It means that this is happening. And God's like, that is not from me. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. You know, the enemy tries to throw us off track by whispering lies to us like, you're always going to be in this place. It will never change. You're always going to be miserable. You're always going to be stuck. Your dreams will never come true. Ever heard that voice? We need to keep a tight hold of truth when we are in a place that we're not yet living the dreams we have. We need to grab truth and wrestle it and hold on to it and not let anything tear us away from truth. The days and weeks and months after I had that report from the specialist, I had a choice every day whose whose voice I would believe. Because that little voice of, it's never going to change. You're always going to be like this. Just imagine the rest of your life with no sense of taste and smell. Why, like, what will you do? That voice tried to shout quite loudly. loudly. And I would just be like, no. Every day I would just be like, Father, you have said that 
your report says I'm healed. I would just say yes to your report that says I am healed. And I would, because of my, um, because of the head injury, I was quite woozy and had, didn't have much strength for quite a while. And I would come home from work and I would lie on my bed and I would put on this song, I believe you're my healer. And it's nine minutes long. And I would put it on repeat for about an hour or two every night. And I would just lie there on my bed and I would cry and just be like, Jesus, I believe you're my healer. I believe that you're my healer. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible with you. Right now I feel scared and miserable and terrified and my whole world feels like it's crumbling into pieces. But you are my healer and I'm just going to hold on to that regardless of what I feel like, what is not happening here. You're my healer. Sometimes you have to grab hold of truth like a bulldog and clamp your jaws on it and be just like, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. And it's not enough to be like once a week. I'm like, yes, thank you, Lord, that you're going to, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. We need to be putting truth in every day. Every day, Father, what is the truth? that I'm declaring this truth that I am healed. God is my healer. He is my healer. Until the, the faith begins to rise up inside of me. I would go forward at every prayer surface that they prayed for healing. And I would be like, here I am. And you know, after a few weeks of that, I'd be like, here I am again. You know, I'm coming forward for healing for the 23rd time. And that voice would speak to me and be just like, why bother going forward this week? You know, you've never got healed before. Why don't you just stay? It's a bit embarrassing going up. And I would just be like, nope, get away from me, voice. I, God says that he's my healer and I'm going to hold on to that. I tell you, I have snorted more lip balm than any of you in this place have done. Because you know when they say, you know, like, test yourself if you're going to be healed. Now, think about that. In a room full of people, body odor is like your number one choice. And I'm not going to go around sniffing people's armpits to, 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 to test whether or not my sense of taste or smell has been healed. Like, sir, do you have bad, bad body odor? Could, could you just lift your arm up? Well, like, if that was my first smell, it might, like, terrify my, my sense of smell. It would leave and never come back again. <laughs> so what I discovered, and I didn't realize this at the beginning, was that, you know, most, most ladies, most girls, we carry around lip balm. And it's scented lip balm. So it would be like, I have some mango guava lip balm. And I'd be like, okay. <sighs> is it a strong smelling one or is it, like, a really faint one? They'd be like... Oh, it's a bit faint. I'd be like, okay, any other lip balm? Okay, you've got one. And I would just be like breathing this lip balm in like, am I healed? And each time, each time I'd be like, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And, and you know how they say that what, what, what you sniff, little particles of it go up your nose? I was like, what's that, what's that done to my nasal passages? Do I have like this slick lining of lip balm inside my sinuses? Ugh. You know that Joseph must have meditated on the truth of who God was. You know, when, 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 uh, when his brothers arrive, he, he knows who God is because he's like, he, he declares 
well, maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'll give that to you in a moment. But he, he's, he's kept the truth of who God is. He hasn't, he didn't embrace like, well, God is angry with me and that's why he sent me to be a slave. God has rejected me or forgotten about me. He had not embraced any of those lies. He had held on to truth during that time. Jeremiah 29, 10, 11 is where we get, where we get, where we get to the bit where he says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Don't let hope die. And it can be so easy when we are living in limbo, when we are on our way to the, to the dreams and promises and not touching them, not seeing them yet, to let hope die. Because hope, hope unfulfilled is painful. It, it, it's painful to our heart. And we're like, oh, if I, if I hold on to hope, then I feel disappointed when it hasn't happened this week. And yet God calls to us and says, I have plans to give you hope and a future. That, that's, his, that's his declaration over our lives. That he will fulfill his promises. And in those times, we need to nurture hope. We need to, we need to look after it like it's a little plant and be like, hello, little plant, and speak to it and water it and put it in the sunshine and be like, you can do it, little plant. Instead of leaving it in a room and being like, I don't want to look at that plant anymore because it hurts me when I look at that plant. I'm just going to lock it in this room and I'm going to hope that it's going to grow all by itself. It may be a dark room, but maybe it will be a special plant that, like a fungus that grows in dark places. Maybe that's the dream God has given me. And yet God's like, I want you to nurture it. I want you to nurture hope. I want you to look after hope. I want you to f- help hope flourish in your heart. And the way we do that is keeping our gaze fixed on him. Yeah. When we fix our gaze on the dream rather, on the, rather than the giver of dreams, we may be filled with disappointment because that dream isn't come to, hasn't come to pass yet. But when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, trust is built so that we, we can handle it's not come to pass yet. But I know it will come to pass one day because I know you. Yeah. You see the difference there? Instead of it being like, the dream must come to pass, the dream must come to pass, we're like... Jesus, I love you and I know you. Take me deeper into love with you. I know that you are my healer and I declare that you are my healer. And when we look at the life of Joseph, he wasn't content. He was, he was content in himself before all the dreams came to pass. He wasn't He wasn't sitting in prison hating people and saying, what a rubbish life I have. Why me? Why me? Why me? He had achieved a place of peace in himself 
because he knew God. And God is inviting us into that season, in the, in the journey season, because that's what most of us are on. We're in the journey season, on our way to dreams and destiny. He's inviting that season to be a season of falling in love with him. And though those months were some of the most difficult in my life, they were also so sweet in terms of relationship with him. Because as I would soak and just be like, you're my healer, my eyes would be on him and I would be like, I love you and I know I can trust you and I'm struggling today. But something would grow in my heart in love with him. Thirteen years later, after Joseph was promoted, after the dreams, he was promoted to be second in command of Egypt. Do you notice the pre-job training he had with both Potiphar and with the warden of the prison? Um, In Genesis, it talks about both of them. Let's see if I can find it right now in my Every Day's Reading Test Day Bible. Uh, it's like the it really is like a mini Bible. Uh, tra-la-la. Um, Genesis 39 verse 8 says, With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one in this house is greater than I. My master has held nothing from you, um, from me except you, because you're his wife. And he's talking to Potiphar's wife. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Does that remind you of his relationship with Pharaoh later on? Pharaoh entrusted everything to him. He learned how to be a trustworthy second in command. And then verse, later on in verse um, 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Being a slave, being in prison was the training ground for his future to be second in command to Pharaoh. God put him as second in command to Potiphar, second in command to the warden of the prison. So that by the time he stepped into uh, the vizier, being the vizier of Egypt, he was good at his job. What's God training you for? What position has he placed you in? Joseph grabbed hold of the life he was given and allowed God to refine his character. And he trusted that God would actually bring good out of pain and disappointment. He's this radical guy. Like, come on. Were there questions? I'm sure there were. Was there anguish? Was there pain? I'm sure there was. But did he work through the pain and the questions and the the waiting To a place of peace? Yes. To a place of relationship? Yes. To a place of trust? Yes. His son's names reflect this. He had his sons before he saw his brothers. 
So before that, those dreams and those promises had come to pass. And he names his son Ephraim. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. And Manasseh, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. When he meets his brothers, listen to what he says when he meets his brothers. In Genesis 45, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Does that not blow your mind? That he could say with heart peace, it wasn't you who sold me into slavery and sent me to this. But God, he had this great plan for our deliverance. Wow, he allowed, he, he was able to embrace the life God had given him. Though it was not the life he chose to, to make it a glory in his life. The thing that had been the most difficult became a glorious thing. What does God want to turn to gold in your life? The things that you've struggled with, the things that you fought against, maybe there's there's testimony and there's joy in that that God is inviting you into. He wants to partner with us, moving us into our future, into the dreams that we have. It was months, it was months of no taste and smell and of trusting and of crying out to him and of saying, I love you. Even if you don't heal my taste and smell, I will love you. Because my love for him cannot be dependent on my healing. Because then it's conditional love. Easy to say, hard to live. Because we, we, we often equate God doing things for us with him loving us. And then we kind of do the same back. Well, we're like, well, if you don't heal me, I won't love you. I'm sure none of you have ever thought things like that. <sighs> Months went by. And one day I was out at a, um, a restaurant with Ben. And I, I sniffed something because, you know, you still do the same things as you've always done. You know, you're like, oh, you, you, it's like cleaning your teeth. You just, you just do it. It's a habit. You've learnt. Yes, finally, all the things our parents told us to do, we do automatically. And as I sniffed, I was like, I can tell there's something in that glass. So I'm like, in this restaurant, I'm like, I'm closing my eyes. You need to hold it and you need to wave it back and forth in front of my nose like this. And I was like, I'm, I'm sort of freaking out. There's people looking at us. I'm like, there's something there right now. Yeah, right now you've got it under my nose. And he'll be like, yes. And I'm like, God's healing me. I just, wow. And I got like 0.02% back. I couldn't smell anything else. And then over the next two weeks, I started to smell coffee. And it smelled terrible. No. It smelled, I would I'd walk into a room, I'm like, I'd be like, oh, this is awful, awful smell. Oh, it's so strong. What is it? And they would be like, oh, it smells a little bit of coffee. I'm like, oh, I, I have to leave this room. It's so hideous. 
And it was just like this little bit of my sense of smell came back. And little bit by little bit, by teensy, teensy little bit, God began to totally heal my sense of taste and smell. And over 18 months, bit by bit, by little bit. And can I tell you, on that 18-month journey, there were times that I was a bit discouraged. And I'd be like, maybe he's never going to heal it. Isn't that crazy? I've gone from nothing at all. God has miraculously restored 20%. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's always going to be like this. <laughs> we so quickly listen to that voice. Let me be vulnerable there. And, and then I'll be like, no, I love you. You're my healer. I love you. You're my healer. Even if it's totally whacked out at the moment. When I first started tasting food, t- food tasted awful. Like it went, it went from like nothing to bad. So then I'd be tasting things. I'd spit them out. Just be like, oh. The first time I tried a Krispy Kreme donut, I just, I just about threw up. I just spat it right out in front of like our whole staff. And everyone's a bit like, you know, wow, what's happened to her? You know, what, what's happened to her manners? I'm just like scrubbing my tongue. Like, oh, what, what was in, what's, what's happened to that donut? We went to one restaurant and I ordered three things because I, and I, cause, and I kept sending them back because I thought there was something wrong with the kitchen. And then I realized that maybe my, my sense of taste and smell was incrementally coming back and a little fritzing out in the moment. And over 18 months, God 100% healed my sense of taste and smell. He is so good. Yeah, he's good. And I can, I can smell grass in the summer. And I can, I can smell the, the smell of, you know, skin in the sunshine. And, and coffee, the good coffee kind. Thank you. And... I can live in this moment of like, God, you did this. You healed me. You did what was not possible. You reconnected and restored something. And that moment of, of, of entering and experiencing his faithfulness was so sweet. But, you know, there had already been a contentment that came into my heart in that season of soaking of it will be a hard journey. It will be difficult not to have my sense, taste of sense and smell. But it's, it won't affect my life with him. I'm still going to love him and I can still live in peace and still live filled with grace. And I, I, I believe God is wanting to invite us into this journey with him. And a journey of embracing the life in front of us as we head toward our dreams. Rather than living passively, waiting for our dreams to fall upon us like a piano from the sky. Just one day, there we are, boom, the dream has come upon us. Actually, he's taking us on a journey toward our dreams. And he's training us in preparation for the dreams with the choices you and I are making right now. He's inviting us to be a powerful people who choose life, who choose him, and who are running unfettered by things that would hold us back. Where is he inviting you to embrace life now? 
Are there things that you've been rejecting or just being like, I just rebuke where I live right now. Change it. Change it, Lord. And maybe he's saying, I've actually placed you there for a purpose. It may not be what you want right now, but I want to do something in you and through you that is going to get you ready for those crazy dreams and plans that I have for you in the future. Because he knows the plans he has for us. And they are plans to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. We need to stop looking at what we don't have and start seeing what we do have. He's flipping the perspective up. So I want to do, I I just want to, I really felt tonight God wanted to, um, to do two or three things. I felt some of us are living with labels that we've become defined by circumstance. And we've become defined by some of the things that have happened to us. And God wants to peel off those labels and say, no, that's not who you are. You're not a slave. You're not a victim. You're not unwanted. You're not alone. Though... Those are sometimes things we take hold of and say, that's who I am. No, those may have been things that happened to us. But we are sons and we are daughters. We are God's children, his beloved. And when we accept those labels, when we accept those, I'm a slave, we're not able to run toward the future that he has for us. How can we be a ruler if we're a slave in our hearts? So, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak to us right now. And I ask that you would just come and show us any, any labels that we, have, that we have agreed with over our life. Any circumstance that we've said, this defines me. This defines who I am. Would you just speak to us right now? And if he's brought something to mind, let's just take a moment. And Father, we repent for where we've allowed that label to describe who we are. I repent for where I've accepted that, where I've allowed that to define me. I feel like there's someone in here and the label heartbroken has been something that has really just defined you. And I feel today he's just ripping off that label. Father, would you just come right now and just begin to take those things off? And maybe you even need to speak out. I just reject that label, whatever it is, of being alone, of being poor, of being unwanted, of being overwhelmed of being sick. That's not the identity he has for us. 
that's not what he speaks over over you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just come and minister to our hearts right now. Come and pour your love into those places. And secondly, I want to invite anyone, and I think we should come forward for this one, but for any of us who feel like today's a day where they want to have a fresh start in that journey and saying, I'm, I'm going to choose that journey. I realize I've been rejecting part of where I am, part of where he's called me to be, and I've been thinking it's something I have to fight against. But today I want a fresh start in embracing the journey and the place where I am right now. Because I, I feel like I feel like God is going to renew hope and he's going to renew joy and he's going to renew grace and he's going to renew vision and he's going to do a sort of divine transaction in your heart that is going to enable you to run the race that is in front of you and embrace the life that he's given you on your way to your dreams, on your way to the promises being fulfilled, on your way to, to, to seeing the plans that he has for you that are filled with hope and joy. That path doesn't, ha- doesn't have to be filled with misery and brokenness. There can be peace and joy and excitement and contentment even in the place that you don't want to be. And I, for one, want that with all hands, legs, I'm like, yes, please, our circumstances don't have to define us. You know, um, I I mentioned last year, uh, last night about this last year, the first six months were like a bubbly fountain of goodness. The second six months were dry and challenging, and yet some of the best months of our life in us because our circumstances weren't determining our inner life. So, if you are like, yes, that's me, that fresh start, that get, that embracing the life in front of, you, of me, why don't you leap up and we're going to come to the front and say yes to the journey. Yes to where you've placed me. Yes to, oh, yes to the place I don't want to be. Trusting that he is going to, he is going to fill it with goodness. Wow. So first up, I think we need to pour our hearts out to him and give him any of the disappointment, the weariness, the, I've been fighting you all these months and years. And it's been really hard to be in this place. But today I say yes to the life you've given me, Father. Hmm. 
Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? Oh, and would you come and impart a fresh start? That's the word I hear, fresh start. He's got a fresh start for us. He's got a fresh perspective. He's got a fresh way of living. Would you renew our minds? Renew our hearts. Help us to embrace the life that you're giving us. Some of you need to give him your disappointment. I just feel for some of you, you've been carrying disappointment in your heart toward him and just asking why why have, why have you not changed this? Why have you left me here? And I, I just feel like that's the wrong question. What do you want to do in me in this season? How are you training me for the future and the dreams that you have for me? Father, would you just begin to download vision from heaven for each person's life, each person's situation, each struggle, every relationship, every, every job, every home, every heart that is, that is being confused and in a place they don't want to be. Tonight, would you just pour out your lavish love and grace. We want to be like Joseph. Ask him as you're sitting here and you're standing here to, to ask him to give you vision. I feel like some of you have felt betrayed by God. And you may need to forgive him or let go of the resentment you've held against him. You felt betrayed that he left you where you are. That he's not changed the things that you've wanted to see changed. And tonight he's asking you to let go of that betrayal. Let go of that pain. And let him come and be your healer. Let him come and be your redeemer. Let him come and be your restorer.
And Father, would you come and restore hope for our dreams? Whoa. Father, we call those dreams to life tonight. We call those promises, those promises of healing, those promises of financial freedom, those promises of family restoration, those promises of change, and we call you into now. I just feel like we need to grab, reach up into heaven and say, I'm grabbing hold of you, promise. I'm grabbing hold of you, what those things that he's spoken over your life and saying, yes, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm not going to let go of truth. I'm not going to let go of the plans that he has for me. I'm not going to be defined by my circumstances anymore. And I say yes to those dreams. Yes to joy. Yes to hope. Yes to transformation. Yes to seeing the impossible become possible. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Wow.
I just um I just felt like God is really releasing like a gift of faith into people's hearts tonight. Um faith to to run the race well, faith to faith to to believe, faith to see those dreams become reality. Because embracing the life in front of you doesn't mean you're saying this will never change. I'm just settling for something. Embracing the life in front of you says I'm going to embrace what's in front of me with excellence, with all of my heart, with all that I am. But that day is coming when I'm going to see those dreams and promises. And it may be tomorrow and it may be five years ago, but five years ahead. (laughs) But I know, I know the creator. I know my father and he is trustworthy. He, he's going to run the race with me. He's going to cheer me on and he's going to carry me when I get weary. And so tonight, Father, we we just give ourselves to you again to live wholehearted lives, choosing you, choosing life, choosing love. And let faith arise. Let faith arise in this house. Let faith arise in this house for the dreams and the destinies you put in people's hearts. Well, let faith arise. Hi. (laughs) Let faith arise. Let hope arise. Because it's based on Him. And He is for us and not against us. And let faith arise in this church for the dreams God's placed upon you as a community and as a people and as a corporate gathering and expression of his heart in this city let faith arise Hmm. yeah thank you Father it's one thing that I was sensing it you know in this in this place of bringing your need before the Lord or the label that's on you and, and believing that this is a a new day that this really that something really can change and having faith to really come up to the front and, and stand and say I'm going to believe for something is going to change in my life you know, that doesn't mean that you're going to deny the existence of the pain that you may experience or the pain you may feel because of that label or because of whatever you experienced that caused that label to, to be written. And I know that for many of you, you have pain in your heart. Our life experiences, whatever the situation, circumstance, condition, <clears throat> that you're dealing with, that the pain is real. And I just feel that the Lord is wants to... I, I, I'd like to look each of you in the eye to communicate this, but I, I want your attention to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you could just imagine 
or, or realize, because this is really, there's, there's a reality here. It's not an, something to imagine. It's something to be realized that the Lord Jesus is looking at you. And Jesus wants you to know that he can take your pain. In fact, I see him on the cross. And Jesus says, you know, I'm really, I can handle pain. I'm actually really good at it. Whatever pain you have, would, would you give that to me? Because I can handle that pain and you can't. I'm not saying deny the pain. I'm actually saying you need to let go of the pain. You need to yield it. You need to actually maybe admit the pain. You may need to confess the pain. Whether you do that right now or you do that alone or you do that with a trusted friend. But you need to give that pain to Jesus. What Jesus is saying Hey, I can handle your pain. I can I can take your pain. I can take your disappointment. I I can take your rage. I can take your your bitterness. I can handle your fear. I can take all of that stuff. In fact, Jesus says, I already have What I have to give you in return is hope. Peace. Truth. Mercy. Grace. Comfort. Safety. Purity. Wholeness, rest, goodness. Father, I just pray that you'd help. Holy Spirit would just release your power. Give us the courage to let you take from us all that negative stuff. And give us the courage and the faith and the confidence to just receive from you all that good stuff. that tomorrow we'll look at the same problem from a whole new perspective. This isn't a prison. This is a place God's put me to rule. This isn't a problem. This is no longer a problem. This is God's assignment for me this day. To demonstrate his character in the midst of adversity. 
This is, this is not a trap. God set me up for victory. What the enemy meant for a trap is actually going to catapult me to victory. I'm going to demonstrate God's goodness in the midst of the enemy's attempt to derail me. That's just what God does, man. That's what Jesus does. He is a specialist at that. He is a specialist. And the more broken your life is, the more disappointed, the more hurt, more confused, the more ripe you are for being a great testimony of God's deliverance, God's goodness. Wow. You do have, you have to, like she said, like uh, Sarah said, you have to grip a hold of hope. And you have to hang on. And there's a time where you just say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to trust. I am not going to let go. Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I just want to read a few verses out of Isaiah. I just came in, and maybe these have already been said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, God's people, you guys, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Yeah, so God, just glorify yourself in our circumstances. You know, we, we are to live unto God's glory. And so these circumstances, this condition, this whatever it is in your life, it's meant to be a place where God can manifest his glory. And, and this whole idea of, of momentum, you know, we've just called that the name of the conference. We really... It's by living this way that your life gains momentum. It's by day by day making the choices to persevere, to maintain faithfulness, to respond uh, good in, in the face of evil and not return evil for evil, to believe and confess and to cling. It's, it's doing that day in and day out that your life gains momentum. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Not only can your life... See, God doesn't just want to change your life. God wants to use your life to change many, many lives. Many, many lives. Some of us, God wants to use to change uh, our whole family. Our city. Hundreds. Thousands. Who knows? 
Nations can be changed. Generations can be changed. It's never just about your life. God cares for your life. He wants your life to be changed and transformed. But man, when your life, when you when you tune into this and you begin to respond, especially when you do it in community with other people that are responding in the same way, that builds momentum. So as a people, we can have greater impact. And the impact that we're going to have is that we're going to see our city, our nation, and this generation change through the message of Jesus Christ, through the message of hope, through the message of what, what message? The message of individuals like you and I choosing to believe in the midst of negative circumstances. I'm telling you, that is a, that is a force so powerful. I mean, the Roman Empire was transformed in a few hundred years. And it started out with 12 men. They were all in their 20s, hiding, you know, them and a few friends, hiding in a room after Jesus was crucified. They were hiding. And God chose them and changed the whole, changed the whole course of human history. Well, God wants to use you. Just believe Him. Yeah, He wants to change your life. As He's changing your life, that momentum's going to carry through your family, your friends, your workplace, your community, your nation. And who knows what God has in store. Father, I just release right now, in Jesus' name, a greater vision. Father, You would just just invade each of our, our minds. Right now, we yield our minds to you, our, our spirits. Have you yielded your spirit to the Lord? Just say, I yield my spirit to you, Lord Jesus. Father, come into my life. Holy Spirit, lead my spirit into your purposes. I give you permission to transform me, body, mind, and spirit, in Jesus' name. All right, so I just bless you that you, you would begin to envision greater things, that you would see transformation, that the labels that you had yesterday, you're going to wake up tomorrow and they're just not going to be there. And let me tell you, if they show up, you just tear that label off and you burn it or you shred it. As she was, as Sarah was saying that, I was, I was thinking something that you can do because I know how labels work. You throw it away one day and then the next day you, you get home from work and you look in the mirror and there it is again. And maybe you need to actually write out on a piece of paper what that is and then rip up that paper or burn it or shred it. I like shredders myself because it's like, you know, it's like a small chainsaw. And if you have to write it on a piece of paper and shred it every day for two years, do it. That's that perseverance. And one day you're just going to forget to do it. You know why? Because it's no longer a label on you.
Right? If you come home and you don't feel that way, you just say, praise God. I shredded that. I just want to testify. Um, a few years ago, I was really, really broken. And the first thing the Lord did was to help me believe that I could really be connected to him again before all the big, amazing stuff. And some of you have been around long enough that you saw me when I was more broken. I would always be happy to see you. I always smile when I saw you because you guys made me happy. But I was really broken. And I had a label. My first label that I had for a long time was victim. That was written all over me inside. I felt like I was a victim of my circumstances and a victim of other people. And after a while, I got really angry about it. And then I turned into villain. And I was like, I don't care. You know, I don't care. I put the walls up, ate the world's food. I don't care. I was angry. I was a villain. And the Lord told me, when he was holding me and loving me and putting me back together, that I'm not a victim and I'm not a villain. I'm valiant. And I wrote that on a three-by-five card, and I put that on my mirror in the bathroom for months and months. Not a victim, not a villain, valiant. That's my testimony. Amen. I like you as a valiant one. (laughs) Ah, So, Father, we just pray that over everyone. We're no longer victims, and we're not villains, but we're your valiant ones. Jesus, you said that you're going to come one day riding on a horse, and we're going to be riding with you. We're going to be the valiant ones that will demonstrate your kingdom on this earth, bringing righteousness, mercy, and truth to every place on this planet. And so, Lord, we, we just we yield ourselves to you. We follow you, Lord Jesus, to lead us each day. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, bless each and every one of you. If you want to continue to pray, you can. We're going to dismiss the service and be back in the morning to celebrate even more. Amen. Bless you all. God bless you.